Bring it in. Read option back uh, after a week for you guys, the listeners. Um, not sure what happened. We had an episode recorded, published. I swore I got the notification on Spotify. It went up on Friday. Uh, haven't heard from our, you know, the, the website I use or anyone. I haven't heard from anybody saying that it got taken down or there's an issue with it. Um, but for whatever reason, it's not on Spotify right now. So that whole pod, we talked uh, Arch Manning, we talked Kyrie Irving, and we talked the NBA draft. And it was solo uh, because of when I had to record it, when to wait until after the draft. So uh, we're basically just going to kind of run some of that back since a lot of that didn't get out. I wanted to hit on the NBA draft. A lot happened. Uh, it's a very loaded class with a bunch of high, high ceiling guys, a bunch of high floor guys as well. Uh, and I'm excited to break it down. And Scotty's here. Vito is in Italy right now. He's doing family stuff. He's got a wedding, it's right? A wedding, out there. yeah. Yes. He's, he's out there. So Vito's traveling. Motherland. This, this time, not for work. This time for for family and for a little little bit of a getaway. Much deserved from him. So we'll probably he's traveling for like the next like couple of weeks. I think so. We'll probably hear back from him. Uh, in a couple of weeks on this pod. Once uh, once training camp starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, once football season starts rolling around again, that's when we'll see Vito. Uh, but we're going to hit a bunch of stuff. Uh, the, NBA, or the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs wrapped up last night. The Colorado Avalanche are your Stanley Cup champions, as Thank well as the God. draft. A little <laughs> preview of NBA free agency. And then we're going to continue our top five lists with top five moments of a cookout in honor of 4th of July coming up this weekend. So, Scotty, uh, got a surprise visit from you, from you yesterday while at the bar, which was wild. Um, just showed up at the bar on a slow Sunday at the casual pint. <laughs> and uh, not going to lie, I thought you were going to try to rob the bar when you first came in. You came in with a mask on, your hat all the way down, and sunglasses on, and you kept them, and you sat up at the bar, and I didn't recognize you. And I said, hey, man, like, how you doing? What can I get you? Thinking you're a complete stranger, to which you did a creepy, slow head reveal in which I legitimately thought you were about to reach for a gun and try to rob the bar. So uh, oh, I was well, I was relieved I'm... that it was you <laughs> and not somebody trying to uh, steal from me and or the bar. I'm sorry to have scared you like that. I just wanted a beer. Jesus. Or um, three. <laughs> a couple more than that. Uh, <laughs> But hey, it was a, it was a fun Sunday. I'm glad I got to to hang out there. Um, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to make it as as surprising as possible. I was not there to uh, to uh, for any malintent. <laughs> no, and and ultimately ended up being awesome. It, it was cool getting a chance to to see you at the bar as, as well. But like, legitimately, in that moment, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, like this this head just slowly turns up with sunglasses, and I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was freaked out. It, I literally, I had a moment where I was like, "Oh, I'm like, I might die right now. This guy might try to kill me." Uh, and maybe that's more of just the world that we live in as fucked up as that mm-hmm. is. But like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but instead, it ended up being one of my best friends, and it was great. And we had we had a good time, even though I had to work and couldn't drink with you. Um, also, yesterday, as I alluded to a little bit ago, the Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. Now we're not the biggest hockey pod in the world in terms of understanding the game, being able to give any sort of analysis or breakdown. Uh, hockey is one of those sports, particularly around playoff time, that I just love for the sake of the game. 
I just love because I, I love hockey. I love I can watch it as a pure fan and for the chaos because I by no means can try to understand what any of, of, of it means. Um, and just playoff hockey, it gets said to death, but it is true. Like playoff hockey is up there for some of the best sporting content that we have in this country and I would say in any country. And it ends with, I think, the unquestionably best team in the NHL winning, which doesn't always happen in the NHL. A lot of times you get a team that gets hot and makes a big run like the St. Louis Blues a couple years ago, and then they just steal, you know, they steal a cup. Instead, we have the back-to-back champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, their goalie, whose name I will absolutely butcher if I try to say, uh, Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky, yeah. Um, He had never lost an elimination game in the playoffs. He was 4-0 going into the game last night. Uh, and the the Lightning got off to a 1-0 lead, and quickly, by the middle of the second period, the Avs tied it up. They scored a third in the third period, and, and that was all she wrote. So uh, what's your favorite part about playoff hockey? What's your favorite part about sitting down and, and being able to watch a sport just as a fan? You know, Because I think we both watch hockey in the same way. So I think, and I've said this before <clears throat> on the podcast, uh, there is nothing like playoff hockey. It is the most electric atmosphere. I don't care if you've been to the Super and I haven't been to the Super Bowl, but I promise you that uh, playoff, I've been to several playoff basketball games, a couple of, uh, of intense playoff baseball games, the World Series even. Uh, and so I, I say with my experience, the playoff hockey is both as a fan at the game and watching on television or even listen to the radio, if that's something you still, uh, the way you still consume it. Uh, it's the most electric atmosphere in professional American sports. Uh, and, and there's, there's not anything that, that comes close. Uh, and, and if you want to fight me on it, hit me in the comments below. I'll, I'll be happy to have this debate with you. There's nothing like playoff hockey. Um, and, and it reverberates throughout the stands. It reverberates through throughout fan bases and even casual fans who are look. Look, I sat here and watched some of the the playoffs and the Stanley Cup final going like, and even as a casual hockey fan, thinking, "Come on, somebody please beat Tampa Bay." I'm tired of it already. <laughs> okay, yeah, but I love seeing. Uh, I, lo- I would love to have seen a three-peat. You know, like even as they were exactly impossible the, to do in on hockey, the doorstep like- of dynastic uh, of dynastic greatness, a la the. Oilers or, or Islanders of the eighties. Um, and so, uh, it's just, it's just so fun. Everybody's there to have a good time. Uh, and, and that, that plays out on the ice, uh, right? Like the players feed off of it in, in more of a way than I think happens in any other sport as well. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, those guys have played 82 games plus the, the playoffs for them to get there. Uh, in, in one of the most grueling and intense sports that we have. Uh, and, and they are all, all of them laying it out on the line, literally throwing their face in front of pucks because yeah. that's how bad they want to win the cup. Uh, you don't see that in, in any other sport, say for like Aaron Donald, just demolishing the, the Bengals offensive line in the Super Bowl because he was like, no, this is my ring. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, that's how it is in hockey every year throughout the entire postseason, so i mean i mean hockey players are just built differently oh like, yeah they're, and they're they're some of my favorite professional athletes for that exact reason and i think i've i think i've even said this before in the pod like i love 
the culture that surrounds hockey players, the, the lingo, the random phrases, like they basically have kind of, they, they remind me a lot of like Australians. Like, you know, how Australians have just weird phrases for things that everyone else uses. English would never use yeah. but Australians, whatever, like yeah. hockey players well, are the same Wheel way. Snipe Sally, baby. <laughs> yeah. But, but half of them are also like super inappropriate and sexual based and like all just like are talking about getting hammered, you know? And, and at the same time, like they are just, I, I, I've heard described when you see someone who you like, you just, it's like, that guy's a beaut, you know? And like, that's how I just, that's how I think of all like hockey players are just a bunch of fucking buttes and they're, they're, yeah, man, they're the, they're the absolute <laughs> best. And I mean, yeah, I clearly have some sort of deep rooted thing where I wanted to be a hockey player and never got the chance to, hence my beard and hairstyle. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I love hockey and I love the players. Now, I will say it is so much more enjoyable watching hockey playoffs when your team isn't involved. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's not totally. I, there's an anxiety that comes with playoff hockey that I only ever feel if it's the Eagles. Like I get I get frustrated and angry during Sixers games. You get that same nerve during Philly during postseason baseball as well. But there's something about the up-tempo back and forth where it's just controlled chaos all happening at the same time and sometimes not even controlled. Sometimes it's just pure chaos. And having your team in, in the mix of all of that is just absolutely exhausting both like emotionally and physically. Like You feel after watching a playoff hockey game that your team is in like you just ran a marathon. Like to, to stick through – I've only seen one Stanley Cup final run for the Flyers. It was back in 2010. And I, I don't know if I ever had as much anxiety other than the Eagles Super Bowl than that, that stretch, because it's also, yeah. it's a seven game series of it too. I'm with you, man. Uh, the one time that my team, the San Jose Sharks went to the final was the same year that uh, it, two, they lost uh, within two days of each other. It was the same year the Warriors lost in the finals to the, to the Cavaliers. Oh yeah. The 2016. 3-1. Uh, yeah. In 2016. And then two days later, I think it was the, the uh, Penguins beat the uh, the Sharks in the Stanley Cup final, but dude, like that that is a hundred percent accurate. And I don't I drink more during playoff hockey than I do for <laughs> any other sport, like even, including playoff football games, which is wild to say. But like, <clears throat> it's it's just that it's that controlled chaos that like anything can happen at any time. It's like you feel um, like you're you're holding your breath the whole game. You know, yeah. like it feels like you're like like. You know, you you almost have to remind yourself like to breathe because it's just you, your brain and your eyes are going so much. In addition to the fact that neither one of us were hockey players, so like there's so much we just don't understand about what's going on. Like I get the basics, dump the puck, chase, all that kind of shit. I know the power play, right, passing around. Look, there's some stuff I get when it comes to the basic X's and O's of hockey, but for the most part, like we're not hockey guys. Like it's not like we can sit here and break down the game, and that's kind of what I love about it. It's just. They're all and they're and the guys nowadays are so fucking talented. Um, and I thought this was an awesome, even though it only went six games I, and it was somewhat anticlimactic. I thought it was still a really good Stanley Cup because even down three one, I still thought the lightning were going to come back. Like I still thought the lightning, especially when they went up one nothing last night, I was like, oh, we're going to go see a game seven right now. But Colorado is such a likable team. Uh, obviously they have McKinnon's insane, right? Like he's arguably him and McDavid. I think you would put up at, up at the top, but as probably the two best players in the league right now, um, who's the, and the defenseman dude who they keep calling like the modern day Bobby Orr. he won the, um, so the con Smythe trophy, right. For the MVP. Um, 
I mean, that dude is just, I mean, this again shows how little hockey knowledge we have. Um, I think it starts with a K, but he's a, a, a Makar. Yeah. Makar. Thank you. Makar. See, I knew there was a K in there. <laughs> um, but like, he's unbelievable to watch. You know, he's like, like with you, if you showed someone the NBA mm-hmm. who had never seen the NBA before and you, just said like watch that number 30 on on golden state or watch number 34 in milwaukee you'd be like that dude's just different and he really does jump off the screen where you're just like that dude looks like he's playing a totally different sport um so it it was great to see that i think it's awesome that joe sackick was the um you know was the gm of the team the last guy to lead them to a cup is now the architect of this team uh just a really really cool story and yeah you know, and the, the Avs are the Avs are a likable team and, and they are take on a really good team too, like Tampa Bay, who's had this incredible run. It's just, yeah, it wasn't the most exciting seven game series, but at the same time, you know, because of how good Tampa's Tampa's been over the last couple of years, you never you never thought that the series was over. No, of course not. Uh, just uh, that that pedigree that they brought with the with the two previous championships that you know they were never done until the there was triple zeros and the the abs had their fourth game in hand um and so for me for the abs it's it it is cool to see sakic uh be be architecting that team but i love the trend that we're seeing uh in in recent champions man it's just teams that are built from within it's not going out and getting the big name free agents it's not uh you know making a a splash sign or, or luring a guy to come uh, play for your team it's got these teams the avalanche have been built from within and it's been a long process over the last six seven eight years even but this team has made moves and built within the warriors did that they just won a championship hell milwaukee did that when they won a championship last year uh, <clears throat> in the nba and uh and the braves did that this year uh, this past season in the world series so like and all these teams building from within that that's it's really cool to see that 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 they're getting that kind of payoff yeah, uh, for the investment that people are putting into it. Well, and I like that it's balanced, right? Because at the same time, you have the Rams, right? Who, who, to, to right. their credit, like a lot of their core pieces are people that they brought in and have been with the team for a long time. They go out and they go get, you know, Eric Weddle off the off the street to come in for a playoff run, and ends up being the guy who wears the green dot in their helmet. But Aaron Donald's the one who ultimately made the plays on that final drive to end that game, right? Um, and, and yeah, they go out and get Matt Stafford. That's like the big one, but for the most part, it was the that same thing in house. Yeah. And I think it's true because I think that's how you win in professional sports, right? You have to develop through draft minor leagues, all that stuff with your own guys, but then you have to go out and make a couple acquisitions, whether in the off season or in the middle of the season at the deadline to help put your team over the top. And, you know, and hockey, I mean, it, it seems so rare that a team goes out and, and gets a high when, when one of the few guys does hit the market, you know, like Jonathan Taves hit the market a couple years ago, leaves the Islanders and goes to the Maple Leafs. You know, when that happens, very rarely does it seem to pay off in hockey the way that it has in other sports, particularly basketball, because it's just a matter of fact, right? Like you can play 30 minutes of, uh, an, an, of an NHL game and that's an insane minute total. Right. And that's still only half the game. Whereas Even Gretzky, it, it, yeah, didn't Gretzky only win like one cup after he left the the Oilers? Yeah, with the, the <laughs> one with the Kings. Yeah, so it, it's it's very it, it's it's a completely different animal. But I, I'm with you there. It was cool to see a homegrown team with young talent, um, and I think the fact that this finals was on ABC, and it was the first time it's been on national 
you know, TV and not on hidden on versus or NBC. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the <laughs> fact that it was on like an actual channel, like one of the big premier network TV channels. Uh, and I thought ESPN, I thought Sean McDonough did a phenomenal job, which hockey play-by-play is insane. God bless anyone who can do hockey play-by-play. So uh, all in all, I thought it was really fun as a casual fan. I watched every game of this series and shout out to the abs, man. The abs take a, take a cup home and, We'll see what they do here moving forward. Um, speaking of building from within, you did a bunch of homework, which uh, is part of the reason why I was glad that I was able to, to get you on here to talk about the NBA draft. Because last Thursday we had the NBA draft. I Like I said before, I did do a pod that, for whatever reason, did not end up on uh, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever we put out our podcast. So we're going to act as if last night was the NBA draft, and we're going to talk about it, which is that Paolo Benchero goes number one overall to the Orlando magic, a lot of surprise, a big surprise. Um, pretty rare that Woj ever gets something wrong uh, or that it seems like other people have information. Cause earlier in the week, last week, there was a lot of buzz about Paolo starting to creep up. Like his odds went from like plus 400 to then plus 200 to then like almost even money where he and Jabari were about even. And then, the night before the draft, Woj breaks it that Jabari is more than likely going number one. And then his his odds drop all the way down to like plus 1,000. So then the next morning, Woj comes out and confirms that Jabari Smith is going number one overall to the Orlando Magic. And then here, we, then we stand, you know, 12 hours later, and actually it was the opposite. Paolo Benchero goes number one. And he had to like save face, like right before they came out, uh, before Adam Silver came out to do his introduction, uh, or right after that, uh, they put Woj on the TV. He was like, just heard, it's probably going to be Bancaro at one. Yeah. <laughs> and what was funny, too, is uh, I was listening to the president of basketball operations for the Magic on a podcast earlier today, and he said, uh, he was asked, he said, when did, it was on the Ryan Rosillo podcast, and he asked them, you know, when did you hear about, or when did you officially call Paolo? Like, when did Paolo know? And he said, about three minutes before we picked him. So the magic kept this tight to the vest. A couple of interesting things about that though. They didn't bring him in for workout. Um, They did get all of his medicals. They did do a full extensive background work like they do for any of those guys who are going to be in the top there. They bring in Chet and Jabari in for workouts. They didn't bring Paolo. There were some rumblings that maybe Paolo didn't want to go there or that he was really looking forward to playing with Jalen green in Houston. However, he does go number one overall. And you and I started talking yesterday, and I think we have it differently. I had Paolo as the number one prospect in this draft, the guy that I would take. Uh, I think he has the highest combination of upside and floor out of um, all three of the top three guys. I think Chet has the highest ceiling, but also potentially could have the lowest floor. And then Jabari, I think, is going to be a solid player. Um, you know, at, at worst, he's he's a three and D guy. You know, he's shown a lot of effort on defense. He's already got an absolutely gorgeous jump shot like stunningly beautiful jump shot for a kid who is 19 years old um but he can't dribble the basketball and we just saw Jalen Brown and, and, and Jason Tatum go through the NBA finals that way too not to say that he can't develop that one day maybe he will maybe he won't but I thought Paolo and everything he did um you know ranking in that he was in the top 90th percentile in uh, shot making, in shot creation, in uh, passing at, at multiple points throughout the uh, the court. So 
I'm just, I'm a big fan of Paolo, but I want you to make the case as to why Jabari was your favorite player in the draft. I just, I think he's the most ready, right? Uh, We talked about, uh, you know, what, what these teams are going to do. And when you, when you try to analyze this, I'm trying to analyze it as which one of these guys, particularly in the top three with Chet Holmgren involved too, uh, because we knew those were probably going to be the top three picks, but uh, which one of those three guys to me it can go on any one of those the of the top three picks and be successful right now. And it's Jabari because of the way he plays defense. It's because of the way he can shoot the ball. It's because of the way he can try it. Uh, he, he, to me is the most NBA ready, uh, especially for the fact that it's going to be a phenomenal fit with Houston uh, playing alongside Jalen green. So, and the, on the, on the, case for Bancaro for me or a case against rather, I guess, is that like, they're going to ask him to do too much in that offense already. Like they're going to ask him to be Blake Griffin year one uh, with the way that he plays. And it's like, uh, I don't think he's ready for that uh, just yet. So uh, he's, he's still got some more development. I think Jabari can go on any of the three teams and start and be successful right away. I understand your point that the, my argument to that would simply just be none of these teams need a player who is NBA ready, right? When you're drafting at the top of the NBA draft, that means you suck. Right. And the whole point of drafting this is you want a guy who's going to be a superstar. Cause that's the only way you win. The only way to win in the NBA is to be, have a superstar on your team, right? Look at the last 15, look at every championship of, since the, the Detroit Pistons, Right. The, every single one of them since 2004 had a superstar on their team. Uh, there's just no other way to do it. So when you're drafting number one overall, yeah, you want someone who can come in and do some things and you don't necessarily want to overwhelm them. I think he's a much different player than Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin couldn't dribble. He couldn't shoot and he couldn't pass, but he could dunk. He could rebound. He could play good defense. He was obviously an electric athlete and he had a really good post game. Um, in addition to being a really, really good lob threat. What Paolo does already, um, you know, his his offensive efficiency, both scoring the ball, getting the ball at the rim, but th- the constant ball movement with him, right? Like he, people tried to peg him and, and Kendrick Perkins, one of his comps for him was like Ben Simmons, which a lot of people dragged Perk for. I forget, it was Ben Simmons and somebody else and both were terrible comps. It was Michael Beasley. It was Michael Beasley and Ben Simmons, like, and like, I guess if you what? combine those two guys into one player, like I can kind of see it, but Paolo already, you know, he's been labeled as like this six ten guy who, you know, wants to be a guard. And I don't think it's that he wants to be a guard. I think he's a six ten forward who has the skill set that can be used in a guard type way. You know, uh, when you watched how loaded that, that Duke team was, which had four first round picks, um, and then a, I believe a fifth guy drafted in the second round as well in this year's draft, he did so much, so many little things like just ro- ball rotation, right? You know, he's not a ball stopper, even though he easily could have been because he was by far the best player on that Duke team. So if he wanted to be a ball stopper, he could have been, he could have been the guy, you know, that said, I got to do this. And I would say that it's very similar as a, as an asset to Jabari, the case for Jabari, which is that Jabari had an absolutely horrendous backcourt in at Auburn. And he didn't really have anybody else, but he still couldn't create for himself or for others. So he was pretty reliant on shooting the ball, 
getting into the lane. Use He's an absolutely insane athlete. And for the record, I like Jabari a lot. I think Jabari can be a, could be an absolute stud, and you could be completely right about this, Scotty. And obviously, the dumb thing about draft takes the day after, or in our case, a few days after, is that we're all wrong, but we still do it because that's <laughs> the, this is what the job is. This is what talking about sports on a podcast well, on the radio is about. So I, I just – I love Paolo because to me – he already possesses so many skills, particularly like the high screen and roll stuff. He's elite, already elite, like NBA level elite at the screen and roll mm-hmm. passing, um, those quick little dump off passes. He sees the floor like a guard, but he can play one through four. Not really one, but if you need him to kind of run the offense through him, you can. And the only other thing I'd say, too, is just I think he fits perfectly with the magic. I mean, I'm really excited to see him and Franz Wagner play together. Franz Wagner was arguably a top three rookie last year. And you're going to compare, you're going to combine him with Paolo and you have Wendell Carter Jr. as your front court. That's a really good, young, exciting front line to have. Now, will it be competing for a championship in the next three years? No, probably not. But I liked what I saw from Jalen Suggs. He already rated in the 90th percentile in um, defense at a guard as a rookie, which is incredibly rare. And he was bad on injuries all last year. Markel Foltz came back the last 12 games of last year, looked pretty good. You have Cole Anthony there who shined at certain points. So I think there's a lot to like with this Magic team. And I think Paolo is a, a great piece to put in there. But Jabari, I think I agree. I think Jabari also, I would have been fine if they took any of these guys. I think all three of them are really good. I just have Paolo a hair above the other two. Yeah, no, and that's fair. Like I said, any, any, we thought the three guys that went top three were going to be top three. Like yeah. it was chalk for sure. Uh, it was a matter of where they were going to go. And 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 one of the things too I love uh, about the NBA draft as opposed to N- NFL in particular, but also you know hockey and baseball as well, is that it, <clears throat> use the NFL as an example. It often becomes about the best available at a position. Doesn't matter about skill set. It's just we have this need on our team. Uh, we are going to take the best person available at this position. In the NBA, that's sort of also true. But the way that the game has evolved in the NBA is like it's it. Every player has a different skill set. There there are no two guys who are are six ten and play the same. There are no two off guards that play the same kind of game and with the same skill set. And so it becomes more about how the player fits into a your organization and b what you've already built in your organization and how that player is going to fit in with his skill set on that team uh and and yeah so i feel like the nba uh it's much harder to draft in that regard uh than it is in in any of the other sports well and in the draft stops typically after the top in terms of elite level talent, on average, it really does stop after like the fifth pick. Mo- I mean, most this, most years. Now this yeah, year, this I think was has, an exception because I think there's a lot of wild cards in this year's draft who could end up being really, really good players. Um, but in terms of that elite level talent, like I, I think one, two, three, and five are probably your best bet. Bet I love Benedict Matherin, and we'll get to him and, and the Pacers a little bit later. I think he has a chance. Shaden Sharp is like the weirdest one out of anyone in this draft who 
could either be like unprecedented, like could be the best player in this draft easily, or he could be the biggest bust from this draft easily. Um, Dyson Daniels, I think, is going to st- step in right mm-hmm. away with that Pelicans team. He's already, I mean, he's a massive dude for 19 well, years old. Like, I mean, the, the success of those guys from the G League, particularly the G League Ignite. I mean, we just saw Jonathan Kaminga win a championship, right? Yeah. Uh, Not that he did a whole lot to contribute, but like same thing Jalen Green too. Like Jalen Green's second half of this past year was fantastic. We saw flashes of Kaminga look really, really good. Um, and and I love that the G I love how the G it wasn't the fear mongering that everyone had about the G League, which is like, oh, it's gonna ruin college basketball, whatever. I think it's on the opposite. I think I think it's actually created a nice little blend between and you know, NCAA and guys who just want to go and start working with those players. Yeah. And over the next few, you know, over the next three or four years, I'm sure we'll see more cases as to whether or not that ends up working out for you or doesn't work out for you. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. All right, let's talk about Chet. Uh, Chet Holmgren goes number two overall to the Oklahoma City Thunder. This felt like an absolutely perfect fit and place. And it was kind of just the this was exactly kind of where he was meant to be. He's the exact kind of player that Oklahoma City loves to draft. And the big prize, honestly, for this year uh, is – how good is your team going to be this year compared to last year? Because next year we have big Vic coming out whose name I have to practice a million times because it's very hard, but the kid from France who's seven foot two seemingly kind of the second coming of Giannis, but like if Giannis was seven, two coming into the draft and had so many of the skills that he inevitably developed, um, he is going to be the guy that you, his name you will hear forever and ever and ever over the next course of this year. Right. Uh, Absolute stud prospect. And what I loved about Oklahoma city is, Chet's going to be good. Like, I, I believe that Chet's floor is somewhere around like that kind of weird Al Horford thing where he's so long, he can play defense like a center. That's what he did at Gonzaga, but he was a guard in Gonzaga's offense. He also had the fourth, um, uh, his, his percentage share uh, in terms of, I keep wanting to say target share. Like, my brain's already switching into football. Um, <laughs> football, man, huh? But in terms of, like, his share of, like, taking shots, uh, he was fourth on that Gonzaga team, and there was only other one other Gonzaga kid that got drafted, and it wasn't until the second round. So Chet is was not tapped into the way that I think he will be able to in Oklahoma City. I think it's a fantastic fit with uh, SGA, but SGA is also starting to get a little older. They already paid him once, and the Thunder still have this treasure trove of picks left. So I don't know where the Thunder necessarily go. I don't know if SGA is going to be on the table, but Chet will make them better but not so good that they'll be out of the running for Vic uh, who next year will be the guy that everybody's chasing. Um, So I love what Oklahoma city did. And they also end up trading with uh, the Knicks to get Usman Jang, who was one of my other favorite players in this draft. And they get him at 11, two guys who are, again, those exact types of home run long shot hits that Sam Presti goes for in the draft. And it's paid off before it happened with Harden. It happened with Russell Westbrook. And obviously, you know, he inherited Durant, but, and, and then at 12, the OKC pick and Jalen Williams yeah. got out of Santa Clara, yeah. going heavy on the WCC in the first round. <laughs> uh, and then they still, I think they had, what was it before or entering the, uh, the draft uh, this year, they had what, 17 first round picks over the next like three or four years. Was it? Yeah. Something it's, like it's an, abs- it's an absurd yeah. amount of, picks. So they're going to, yeah. they're not only like building uh, within, and this is some, just some great talent that they're putting around Chet Holmgren and SGA, who's already been there, of course, but now you have the, ability to bring in some veteran guys who can help make those young talented rookies even better. I don't even think they're going to do that. Like, I think they're just kind of like the coaching staff there has done such a good job. And I know SGA overlapped a little bit with Billy Donovan, but like 
SGA has flourished despite the team being bad. Now, he also got to play with Chris Paul for a year, which I'm sure absolutely helped him. But I don't think that's what their mindset's going to be, right? Because they have so many picks moving forward. I think they're just going to keep gambling on, on guys who have high upsides until you hit somebody. Going back to the idea of kind of how I look at the NBA draft, which is let's go get somebody with the highest ceiling. Because ultimately, if we hit on a superstar, that's what's going to separate us. And we'll pay SGA now because you got to pay somebody. You know, Oklahoma City's still way under the cap, and they'll continue to take other teams' bad contracts during the buyouts markets and during trades and be an extra piece there. And that's how they accumulated all those assets to begin with. I mean, think about, like, Kemba Walker's contract, Al Horford's contract, like uh, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, like these guys who all had big deals, they stopped through Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City paid it for, you know, a year or whatever to take a year off of it because they have to pay somebody. My hope is that that doesn't happen with SGA because he's one of my favorite players in the league. But even still, they go out and get Josh Giddy in the first round last year, who a lot of people thought, like, who the hell is this Australian kid who's slow and can barely dunk and is a sick passer and a really good shooter but doesn't really do much else? And Josh Giddy was awesome last year. You know, they did the same thing with Poku, who is just a hilarious person. And, and he's not working out the way that, you know, you would hope, right? You know, a seven-foot-four point center at least in his mind um so well, that, but I, that's kind of what chet brings to your team though is that but a far higher yeah but a yeah. far higher level yeah. Po- uh, yeah poku is just this hilarious <laughs> like takes so many bad shots makes so but also will have one play every other game that you're like holy shit who the hell is this guy but then the vast majority of it is is terrible yeah no and, and so to, to that point though i mean chet is is an unbelievable shooter yeah. uh, just a, a a freaking sharp shooter and, and a really gifted score uh range beyond three and, and uh, on, on the defensive end he's an unbelievable rim protector i've seen a lot of comps like christops uh and i'm like yeah but if christops were better um i think you get chet holmgren like i i, I legitimately think he's going to be a good talent uh eat a burger or two and 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 work out a little bit and get some did he eats like going in the gym he eats like three thousand calories a day and that dude still cannot put on anything now (laughs) the one hope there and if we want to play like you know like armchair doctor and be like oh well look at his dad right like that's the old thing is like oh well his dad fills out then he'll fill out and like his dad does have like he's a big dude i think his dad's like six eight or six ten or something like that and his dad has a really big frame and is like a filled out so the hope is that you know Chet will end up doing the same thing because he needs it, but he's, he's kind of this weird body Al Horford guy where I think he can, he's going to be able to knock down threes um, and he's going to be able to play really good defense in the post. I mean, he swats shit like it's like nobody's business. Um, His anticipation is footwork. And the other thing too, is like when you watch a lot of his, a lot of his film and, and not just the highlights up, but like looking at the, you know, the game against Duke in the beginning of the season that they lost, you watch him in NCAA tournament. He's rarely ever out of position. Like he just, he does everything. He did everything he was asked at Gonzaga, even though he could have done so much more for that team because he was just doing what his job was and he did it flawlessly. And I'm excited to see what Oklahoma city is going to do with him to let him be a bigger part of the offense. Because he, if he pans out, he absolutely has the highest ceiling in this year's class. Cause I, he's I just agree. some, he's just something we've never seen before. Yeah. And, and I that's think not hyperbole either. Yeah, like that's like that's not hyperbole. Like so often no. you're like, oh, this guy's a unicorn. We've never like no, we literally have not seen anyone like Chet. Like Kristaps didn't had post moves was was not really a shooter until he got to the NBA. Like 
Yeah. Chet is completely different and a much better defensive player than Kristaps. The fear with Chet is obviously the body, but he also has that like ugly run, you know, like, like Bynum had Andrew Bynum had that where it's like, yeah, you know, where it's just like, (laughs) it doesn't look athletic and that kind of, that kind of scares you a little bit. Um, But at the same time, that can just be like, you know, judging a, a like looking at like Chris Middleton being like that dude doesn't look like he'd be good at basketball. And then Chris Middleton's <laughs> fucking disgusting. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Next up, good or bad pick. Just good or bad. You decide pick good or bad. And that's where we're going to go. Uh, bad. The Sacramento Kings. Um, yeah. Continuing what to do that? what the Sacramento Kings do. Um, they take Keegan Murray fourth overall, who is a really good player, a really, really good player out of Iowa. I think he'll fit in pretty well with De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis there or whatever. How this pick isn't Jaden Ivey just off the talent alone is mind boggling. I, yeah. The, Jay, un- I had, if, if the top three that we talked about, Bancaro, Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, uh, if those are one, if we're, if we're tearing it, Jaden Ivey was one a for me. Yeah. And, and, and so I, here's the thing too, right? So I, I reached out to a couple of the NBA guys that I know and a couple of the college basketball guys that I know who, who covered the draft this year um, over the weekend. And I, I asked them straight up. I was just like, like, is there merit to the Jaden Ivey and did not want to go to the Kings thing? Cause that's what it felt like ever. I kept reading and seeing everywhere. He didn't want to do this. He didn't want to go there and play in Sacramento. He didn't even send them the medicals apparently. Um, and from everything I heard, the answer was resoundingly yes. Uh, Jaden Ivey at all costs did not want to go to the Kings. I mean, can you blame him? And the Kings tried as well to desperately trade out of that spot. Um, you know, they they tried, but there was no real trade that made sense. You know, uh, the one that I had heard was like the Blazers maybe sending seven um, and, and something else to move up to four to get Jaden Ivey to put next to Dame, which – I, I, to me, is that really worth it? If, if you're the Blazers, yeah. probably not. Um, the Hawks supposedly put John Collins and 16 on the table to put them to Sacramento. But I don't really think John Collins with that contract is really going to do much for you. If you're Sacramento, you need young talent. And even still, if I'm the Kings, like Keegan Murray's a great player, but I would have much rather had like Benedict Matherin, um, Dyson Daniels. I would have rather seen them taking a shot at, on Shaden Sharp and just saying, fuck it, let's yeah. just get someone who has insane upside rather than taking the dude who's 20, who's going to be 22 in August. You know, uh, drafting a guy who's got a ton of college tape and is, again is a really good player that high when you're a team that bad. And it sucks too because then it feels like everyone then dumps on Keegan Murray and says, oh, this is a bad pick. No, Keegan Murray's a really good player. But if you're the Kings, you can't keep doing this. You know, like there's there was the graphic they put up that said, you know, they drafted Jimmer for debt one spot ahead of Clay Thompson. Uh, yeah, they drafted someone who's not even in the league anymore. One spot ahead of Damian Lillard. And then, of course, famously, they drafted Marvin Bagley Jr. One spot ahead of uh, Luca. So it's like. I don't understand how this franchise who hasn't been in the playoffs in almost was a 15 years, 16, 16 years uh, with a I new don't, head coach. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand how they keep making the same mistake despite changing their coaching staff and changing their front office once every three years. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Uh, you know, like it, it just seems to me that they're disinterested in, and it's not even like in a way that like, Oh, you just don't pan out like, like the jets or, or the, the lions of the NFL. Right. Like 
it just seems like they're disinterested in being successful. Uh, they built an entirely new arena a couple of years ago. It's which incredible. By all arena. accounts, I, I I know people who've been there. They say it's amazing, but like yeah. the team that they're throwing out there. And granted, they're building right. That trade that they made in the middle of the season uh, to acquire Sabonis, uh, excellent, great. Like I, I I look, it made them better last year, but giving up Halliburton, yeah, bringing Sabonis. I, I just, I mean, Halliburton, uh, like I would have rather had Halliburton on the Sixers than James Harden. Like that, that, that's how highly I think of Tyrese Halliburton. And he would have been yeah. a better fit in the playoffs this year. And so I don't understand what you're doing, especially when you have, I, I can go down the list and pick out five, uh, possibly seven guys who I would have taken, uh, maybe eight even, ahead of Keegan, uh, Keegan Walker. So Keegan um, Murray. Yeah. Keegan Murray. Sorry. Yeah. No, um, you're fine. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it when you're trying to build from within. That's one thing, but if you seem disinterested and now you've got this the, a new head coach, poor Mike Brown, I wish he would have done the Kenny Atkinson thing. Um, Cause that, that warrior's job was his uh, once Steve Kerr leaves, but uh, Hey, uh, it's neither here nor there. Uh, enjoy coaching sack. Uh, we'll see you four times a year and and uh, enjoy losing. Uh, but thanks for your time. Uh, no, uh, look, he, he's going to, he's goes to places and turns things around. So I don't know, maybe they, they, uh, they drafted Keegan as a, as a system guy. I don't know. I, I just, I don't get how the pattern that they have, have created since uh, I'd say even starting in like 2000, what was it 2003? They went to the finals 2002. No, it wasn't 03. Which was the Western conference finals. When they lost, which is the series they lost to right. the Lakers. Yeah, I think it was yeah. 2003, 2002. Yeah, J-Will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not the ESPN's J-Will. Jason Williams, White Chocolate. Uh, but which I anyway. actually think that was Mike Bibby. I think it was the year they traded Jason Williams for Mike Bibby. But it was still, it was Mike Bibby and Chris Weber and Peja Stojakovic, you know, and yeah, and then those Lottie the refs Divac at the end yep, of his career. Lottie Divac. <laughs> I mean that those those teams were were awesome, and yeah, I'm Jason Williams, one of my all time favorite NBA players. So I'm, I'm and right there since, with you. Since then, I just I don't understand what moves they have made to make themselves a legitimate franchise, now, including to, Demarcus Cousins. If I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, my thought is, all right, in the last you know 25 games of the season, whatever it was when they made the trade for Sabonis, you know, De'Aaron Fox averaged 28 and seven assists and like four boards and Sabonis averaged, you know, like so nine, 19 and 10, like, you know, so like it was the best stretch of basketball we've ever seen from De'Aaron Fox bringing in a disgruntled Jaden Ivy who already doesn't want to go there uh, and, and trying to disrupt a, uh, you know, cause the thing is too, is they, they made their decision, right. When it came to the guard, right. They, they made their decision to say, Hey, we are taking, we are taking or betting our house on De'Aaron Fox. Who we're paying instead of Tyrese Halliburton. And you got and, Davion and, Mitchell too. And they drafted Davion Mitchell last year too, who I, I think is a really nice, you know, probably your fifth best player on, on a good championship, your fifth best starter on a championship team. I could see him getting into that, but he's just going to be a really, really good defensive player. He's going to knock down some threes, but he's still kind of limited. And, and I love Davion Mitchell, but like, we're not talking about him as being a potential all-star. Whereas Halliburton probably is an all-star one day. So Keegan Murray, again, will he come in and play some minutes and probably be ready to play right away? Yeah, definitely. But if you're the Kings, I, I guess if I'm putting myself in their mindset, they're saying, 
we unlocked something with De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis. They like each other. Um, there's a bunch of clips of them and playing well at the end of the year. And it's just going to be a matter of whether or not that continues going into the next year. But I also subscribe to the theory that it's dangerous to read too much into what happens the last two weeks of an NBA season because, and now granted that trade happened, you know, a, a six weeks before the end of the NBA season, but that is still a very dangerous gamble to have, you know, just because a lot of teams are checked out and, you know, that could be a fluke or it could be the new normal for, for a Darren Fox. I, I don't know. Uh, the good on the other side of the good yeah, or bad hit me with that, the Detroit Pistons, um, yeah. who now have, I think, my favorite young backcourt in the NBA, um, Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham. I said this to you yesterday when, when we were talking. I don't know how many people would agree with me on this, but if you gave me the choice between Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards, I would take Cade Cunningham. And the yeah. more and more I've gone back and watched Cade Cunningham from this past year and watched how his season developed, the more I'm – the, the less players that are on the list of people I would rather have right now for the next 10 years than Cade Cunningham. I'm enamored with him. I think he's unbelievable. I bought a ton of stock of his last year and I'm doubling down this season going in, even though, even though, even though the stock price might be a little higher after his rookie year, I'm still doubling down. Cade Cunningham is, I think going to be the best player from that draft, which had insane talent. I mean, Evan Mobley and, and Scotty Barnes, Franz Wagner, we talked about earlier. I still think Jalen Suggs can be really good. Like that draft has turned out to be awesome. That's just how much I freaking love Cade Cunningham. And now you're putting with him the absolutely perfect player, an explosive guard who can get to the rim at will, who's a little Anthony Edwards-ish. Um, the jump shot needs to be a little bit better. But the thing with Jaden Ivey is I expect Jaden Ivey to actually fit better in the NBA than he did at Purdue because he had yeah. those, he had Zach Eady and that other, I mean, he had two seven footers on the floor at the same time. And he's this explosive high flying guard who can make plays, you know, his comp, he's somewhere in between jaw and, and Anthony Edwards. Um, and, and he's probably a little less explosive than those two, but he's still in that same kind of world. Uh, he's his shot. The only real concern with him is the shooting, but the stroke is good. The free throw percentage in college was good, which is usually a really good indicator. And I think it was a weird fit at Purdue, which, by the way, was the number one offense in college basketball last year. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> Jaden Ivey, I think he could be the best player in this draft, too. And I think he's put together with a guy who doesn't need the ball in his has the ball in his hands all the time, but doesn't need to score to be the best player on the court in Cade Cunningham. I think it's a perfect marriage. I love what they're doing. They got yeah. the Jeremy, the Jeremy Grant contract off. Um, they got Kimball Walker though, which well, I mean, is a, you could say that that's a that's nice gonna, veteran presence. Well, they said that that's going to be a buyout already and they're going to oh, buy him out of his last year. So, um, and then the, you know, Jalen Duran too, it was a hell of a pick. And that's the other thing too. They make the trade with, uh, who's that with, with the Knicks, uh, that three team <laughs> trade. Yeah. It was with, it was Charlotte yeah. and the Knicks and, and, the Knicks, and, yeah. and the Pistons. And it looked like Duran was going or Duran was going to, New York, but it was just all the confusion on draft night. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. He is going to Detroit. So you're adding because a lot of people thought they would be in on the, you know, DeAndre Ayton sweepstakes, right? And they still might be. Still might be, but also if if they're like, hey, we're gonna run this out and we might be able to add another top level guy next year because we're gonna have young guys out there figuring it out, kind of similar to what Oklahoma City's doing. 
you know, they're probably going to be a team that picks in the lottery next year. I mean, the East is going to be absolutely loaded. So I, I don't see them taking a jump just because they have these two really good young players. So give them a year to develop their chemistry, right? See where you're at. You could get lucky and get the number one pick next year, or at least the top five. And there's some good players coming out of next year's class too. So they got this guy scoot or yeah, I think it's, he goes by scoot. Uh, who's like the number two prospect coming into the 2023 class. So um, is, is, he's a G league guy who is uh, also very highly, highly regarded. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that yeah. all plays out. I just love the draft of the Pistons. They, they were my, I, them in Oklahoma city were my two clear favorites. I love, I love Jaden Ivy. And obviously the pedigree, they talked about it on draft night. His mom's coach at Notre Dame played in the WNBA. He was meant to play this game. Like he's built for it. He's an unbelievable guard can shoot the lights out of the ball and play well on defense too. And then Jalen uh, Duran, 6'11", 7'5", wingspan. He's giving you three offensive rebounds a game, and he can guard one through five. Like, yeah. that's that's insane. Yeah, um, so, and I think it was so, good value to get him there too, you know? Yeah. And they getting the Jeremy yeah, Grant just, contract off the books means they'll be able to buy out the rest of Kemba Walker's contract as well, and they'll still have a little bit of cap flexibility there too. And then next year when the free agency pool is better, who knows, maybe you start to, because whenever, whenever you have these young teams, you know, who have like a, a guy who's like, all right, this guy's going to be a star. There always needs to be one middle to above middle tier free agent to sign there before anybody big wants to go there. Like the, for the, the Sixers, it was JJ Redick. Like JJ, yeah. when once JJ Redick was willing to sign with the Sixers, that was the first time like, after the process, it's like, oh, wait, there's a guy with, with a real name who understands basketball, who's a good player, who wants to come to Philly. That was like unheard of to us, right? And so you, then they, that was a big moment. So I think next year could be that for Detroit. Do we'll you see. think DeAndre Ayton is that guy, though? Because I think he's still too young and and still developing enough that, that he can't be that kind of player for Detroit. I think it's too soon for Detroit to make that move on their part. Yeah. Um, like I, like I said, like I would rather them run with Jalen Duran and, and just see where that takes you rather than go give DeAndre Ayton $150 million. And I like DeAndre Ayton. And I think he's like the team I wanted to see him on was Charlotte. I wanted to see yeah. him paired up with LaMelo. Right. Um, and now it's like the options are getting fewer and fewer for him where it seems like, all right, well, his whole thing was he was going to go out on the open market as a restricted free agent and try to get a, a bag from somewhere to force the hands of the Phoenix Suns to pay him, you know, what he deserves, which in his mind is a $200 million contract, which they can pay him that extra 50. If he goes to the open market, it gets capped out at 150. So I, like I said, I don't know where DeAndre Ayton ends up, but if I'm the Pistons, I'm rolling with this young crew and seeing what I have and letting them build chemistry. Cause I think you have at least two, you know, building block pieces in terms of talent, at least. And how they end up playing together is going to be a huge indicator. But I like I could see Detroit, you know, winning some games this year, looking a little bit like Minnesota or, you know, even like Memphis did a couple of years ago when Memphis was in the play in tournament. Right. Like and ja, like I could see that out of this Detroit team next year. Absolutely. Um, and they're still in the running for Miles Bridges, who is another free agent who is out there coming from Charlotte, who is probably going to get more money than he should get. Um, but that's also, you know, it's a down free agency year. Um, all right. I got a couple other questions for you here. Best fit slash worst fit for you. Who is it of the players we haven't talked about yet? Um, gosh. I can um, go. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm gonna gonna go with best fit. Uh, Ochai Ajabi. Uh, Interesting. Out of Kansas. <clears throat> okay. Make the it's, case. 
it's they're they're so good already and so young. I think they're going places uh, to begin with. Uh, where did he get drafted? Let me see. I think that 14th. was right at the edge of the uh, the lottery. Yeah, fourteenth, yeah. uh, last pick of the lottery. And so the team is the team is fourteen, and they're already deep and young, uh, and, and they're exciting. Uh, and, and you know they've got uh, Evan Mobley, and and they just drafted his brother Isaiah Mobley too, or signed him one of the two. Uh, yeah, which but, felt a little bit like uh, Thanasis Antetokounmpo signing with Milwaukee. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> Uh, but but Ochai, man, he's he's an unbelievable shooter, uh, and, and just an amazing three and D guy. Uh, he's going to be great off the screen. He's forty one percent from three, uh, an unbelievable player in transition, and that's what you want when you draft a young guy, especially a young guard uh, who's going to get better and better in the NBA, is to be able to get him comfortable, get him uh, going off transition, and then you got guys like Colin Sexton's coming back from injury. Uh, Right. And so, and so they're, they're young and deep. And, uh, and I think he's just going to add to that depth and, and the excitement of that team. Well, and Sexton's a restricted free agent. So I'm curious to see what happens with there. I would expect Cleveland to, to sign him and then maybe end up moving him at some point, but um, that's an interesting plot line to follow. I, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about a, 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 a Baji in that context, but you're right, because so much of the draft, as I was saying before, is about upside. You want to draft people who are going to end up being, you know, top tier players. Um, but there is something to be said about the guys in the middle of the first round who you know are just going to step in and be really good, solid players. Like I think of Cam Johnson, you know, in Phoenix, right? Like everyone dogged Phoenix for drafting him, which I think they drafted him around ten, like nine or ten, which might be objectively a little too high, but. The dude is an amazing shooter, and they said, "Hey, who's the best shooter in the draft? We want someone who can shoot." You cool? We're we're taking you. We don't care if it's nine or ten. You're going to help us. You're going to help Devin Booker. You're going to help Chris Paul. You're going to help make us a better team. And I, I commend people who do that. And I think the Cavs are in a spot where you're right. They have a bunch of young. Really, I love Darius Garland. I think Darius Garland's ceiling mm-hmm. is still going up. Evan Mobley <laughs> is phenomenal, and 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 very well along with Cade. I think both of them could end up being superstars in this league. So, I you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but that's a great pick. Um, do you have a worst fit of someone we haven't talked about? Uh, why don't you do your best? Uh, All right, I'm, I'm I'll give down the list here. I'll give my, my best. All right, so I have two. The one is just based off of the organization, and, and of course they drafted this guy, but Jeremy Sohan going to S- San Antonio. Um, it, I said this to you yesterday, Scott. It's mm-hmm. like – if you see a really good white slot receiver coming in college in like the fourth round of the NFL draft, you just know the Patriots are going to be go after him, right? Like yeah, it's just like Bill Belichick waiting yeah. in the wings. And of course, more often than not, that doesn't actually happen, but that's kind of the running joke. Like Jeremy Sohan is like the exact player. Like, of course he goes to San Antonio. He's such a weird, but awesome player. He can't shoot. He basically can't do anything for you offensively but he does a lot of Draymond-ish stuff on the defensive end. He's a brilliant defensive player. He's a guy who doesn't have to score at all and can still be a huge factor in the game. And those guys are pretty rare. However, the only downside of drafting a guy like that, and even though Sohan is much bigger than the guy I'm about to mention, is what's the chance that he ends up being Matisse Thibel, which we just watched in this past playoffs. Matisse Thibel literally could not be on the court because he was too much of a liability offensively. 
because teams were able to play five on four and just left them alone in the corner. Because if he's shooting a wide open three, that's actually beneficial to your team. And that way you can double team other players. So Sohan has to develop something offensively that makes him special. Now he can rim run a little bit, but so can Thibel. He can cut off ball, so can Thibel. If he is to develop a jump shot, I mean, he's an, he, he, is he Kawhi? Probably not, right? But I think there's some hope there that in that organization, in a similar setup, could this guy be Kawhi-ish, Kawhi-esque? I don't think he'll ever have the handle that Kawhi has. I don't think he'll ever have the jump shooting that Kawhi has. But remember when Kawhi came out too, he had none of that. He couldn't handle. He had the goofiest looking jump shot in the class. And he turned himself into a 40% three-point shooter over the last decade. So I, I, I hold out hope. I just love Sohan. I think he's a, a super intriguing player. And then the yeah. other one for me was Dyson Daniels. I know I, we mentioned him a little bit earlier. He's six foot eight and 250 pounds as a 19-year-old. He is built like a grown-ass man. There's no more filling out that this dude needs to do. He's defensively a monster. And when you think about what that New Orleans team was in this past postseason, He's going to be such a perfect fit with everything that they do there. And defensively, next to Herb Jones with uh, Jose Alvarado when he comes in on his minutes, and then ideally you'll get Zion back. The only downside, too, is it, it takes this dude a week to get a jump shot off. Like his, his jump shot is so slow coming off of his shoulder. He has to work on it, but he also doesn't shoot it bad. It just takes him a long-ass time to get the shot off. So I really love him. I think Shaden Sharp. Sorry, not straight shot. Dyson Daniels has a chance to be really, really good. And again, in that role player mode, like I don't think he's ever going to be anything more than like the third or fourth best player on a good team. You know, and on a championship team, he's probably a starter and maybe like a fourth, fifth option. Um, but he's going to help that team a lot. And I'm excited to see it. Uh, worst fit for you. Oh, um, I don't know, man. I, I think I've got to go with just because I have so few notes on it because it didn't make sense at the time. I think he'll be a decent enough role player here in Memphis, which is where he got traded. But at 19, Jake LaRavia out of Wake Forest. I just, you know, he's he's, he's pretty one-dimensional on offense. Uh, He's good without the ball, and and he can play decent enough defense to get by. But, like, uh, I don't don't think anything more than a role player. And 19 is a little high for, for something like that. That's interesting um, because I think that's how a lot of people felt really early on um, from what I've heard and from talking to guys who, who were around college basketball, he was someone that was like, no, like teams are going to want to get after this guy. Like there are going to be teams who make a hard push for him late in the back end of the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently there were a lot of teams that were very interested in him. And um, look, if there's one thing I can't, knock memphis on over the last couple of years it's how well they've drafted they've they've crushed the draft um not to say that i think you're right i do think some of the stuff offensively seems a little one-dimensional he also had a very very bad workout at the combine um but i also think he's kind of naturally more of an unselfish player and and going to the combine alone you kind of have to be selfish while also trying to convince everyone else that you're not selfish (laughs) so it's kind of a weird (laughs) spot but i uh i like jake laravia um but also at the same time, I see I see the concerns too, right? Um, but I I would trust Memphis only because of the track record we've seen. But I, I see the concerns too. Um, I have two for worst fit. The first one is Shaden Sharp. Um, 
who I think could, again, could be the best, could be one of the best players in this draft, could be the worst player out of this draft. Um, his whole story with Kentucky and then going there and then not going there and not then playing going there <laughs> in the EBYL or whatever that weird thing is. And, and like, there's such limited footage of him out there for teams to see. I did find it interesting that Mike Schmitz just left ESPN to take the assistant general manager manager's job with Portland. And while at ESPN, that league that he played in, he got extra access and extra tape to see him that all the teams and everyone else didn't have. So they had a little bit of an advantage there in uh, Portland in order to see what kind of player Shaden Sharp was. That being said, you have a superstar and an aging superstar in Dame who is coming off of a weird core injury. And we're still not really sure what he's going to look like. And Shaden Sharp probably won't see the NBA for at least a year. Um, he has to go to the G league. He has to start playing some real actual high quality team basketball, high caliber team basketball. Sorry. Um, and he just hasn't done that in a long time. The other one that I didn't love, uh, was AJ Griffin to the Hawks. And I like AJ Griffin, the player. Um, I just don't get what the Hawks are, are like. The Hawks have well, have had a bunch of this these guys. The Hawks have had a bunch of AJ Griffins, right? They've had they just had they did the same thing with Cam Reddish, right? Like a, a, a three now AJ Griffin's more not necessarily a three and D guy, but he's a true stretch four. I mean, I get it, like putting him alongside Trey, but but also you know, like I see your point. The only thing I can see is that Kevin Herter might be on the move, and John Collins might be on the move. And if this is a guy who you see potentially replacing them in a lineup, I think it'll make more sense. I think as we stand now, yeah, I'm not, I'm not loving that. Um, but again, the big concern with AJ Griffin is he's had multiple knee injuries. He had multiple knee injuries in high school. So health durability, and he got banged up at Duke at certain points last year. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the biggest concern I think for AJ Griffin. If he had, if he didn't have the knee injuries and whatnot, I mean, I, I, if there wasn't a concern about if you could guarantee that he wasn't going to have issues with his knee, he's probably a top 12 pick, um, potentially a top 10 pick. And instead he falls to 16, uh, which I think says a lot about the talent level that he has and what he can bring to a team lights out shooter, lights out shooter, which, Mm -hmm. you know, teams can always use. Um, 46% from three is freshman year. I will (laughs) leave the last question. Um, Well, we'll do it real quick. Who's someone we haven't mentioned yet that you loved? Who was what was a pick or a decision or something that was done that you you loved in this year's draft? Um, can I be selfish? Because I love what the Warriors did. Patrick Baldwin Jr. <laughs> yeah, in the first round, and then uh, uh, oh, Tyrese Martin. The, no, they he, the they traded him to second. Ryan Rollins, Rollins, Rollins yeah. from Toledo. Yeah, yeah. So I, I look. Who am I to question Bob Myers? Uh, obviously, with Patrick Baldwin, it was limited, you know, uh, tape on him because he was banged up most of last year. But uh, before this draft, we were talking about him as a high first round pick. Um, he, was, you, uh, he was the University yeah, Wisconsin Milwaukee. Yeah, uh, so it wasn't a huge school that he went to. He's six nine, got a seven two wingspan. He moves well without the ball, which is exactly how we run our offense. Uh, and, and I think he, like I said, he was expected to be a lottery pick. Uh, and he was just banged up last year. So I think there's good upside, especially if uh, if Looney does stick around. I don't think it'll be a long-term contract, so it'll be a nice way for him to, to be able to fill in a little bit yeah. uh, and learn from a guy like Looney um, if, he, if he does, in fact, stick around. So 
Uh, I love that pick. And then Rollins, I think, was just underrated. Uh, and 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 is going to be an absolutely uh, terrorizing shooter. Yeah. Um, the Patrick Baldwin story goes, so his dad was the head coach at Milwaukee or one of the assistant coaches. But um, he went there to, to play for his dad, uh, which – rarely works but in some cases it, it can every once in a while um and i think that backfired on him big time uh he could have gone to any school in the country he was the number eight overall prospect going into last uh the 2021 2022 season um or school year and he made a bad decision right but the one thing yeah. that the warriors have crushed on over the last couple of years is taking kind of gambles on guys who are highly rated. You know, Kavon Looney was the 11th ranked player in his class. Jordan Poole was a four star. Um, and, you know, and taking these guys later in who just have that pedigree, you know, like, I think that's kind of the word I, it's just mm -hmm. like, it's like the thoroughbred thing that Vito used to talk about, right? There's some guys who are just, they're just thoroughbreds. Like they're just built yeah. different athletically. And even if there's things you don't love about them, you still take the gamble on it. Cause they're just, they, the upside is too high. Um, so I agree. I love the Patrick Baldwin Jr. pick I, there, at least if you're going to take a flyer on somebody, he's the yeah. guy you take the flyer on. In, in my exactly. Opinion. And then the other one I loved was uh, I had two. Sorry. Uh, now go for it. At, at 24, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks taking uh, taking a shot on Marshawn Beauchamp. Yeah. Uh, who, who was with the G League Ignite, um, but an unbelievable success story. He was homeless four times in his life. He went to four different high schools. He he uh, four for went to going to college uh, and instead went to uh, to Yakima Community College. And then he, he signed with the with the G League Ignite, uh, but he averaged 30 and 10. Uh, and I, I know it was a, a junior college, uh, but that's not easy to do <laughs> at, at this level of basketball. No. I think he's going to be a, a, a real talent that uh, is a diamond in the rough uh, for, for Milwaukee at 24. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great call. It's a great call. Um, my, my love, and I mentioned him in passing earlier, but was Benedict Matherin going uh, out of Arizona, going to the Pacers. Mm -hmm. Talk about dude with story comes from inner city, Montreal, which a lot of people, you hear that and be like inner city, Montreal, like, isn't everything aren't they all just nice up there. And like in Canada, like, like, no, like that, like dude's been through more shit than I can ever imagine. Um, hard, tough nosed dude, like super driven like that's the thing that i kept hearing about him was like the dude is just absolutely driven he's a maniac when it comes to working out when it comes to putting in the work day in day out um i just am a huge fan of him and putting him next to tyrese halliburton like if Jaden ivory and Cade cunningham are one those guys are a very close number two behind them in terms of young backcourts that i'm really excited yeah. to watch um and and another dude is just freak athlete uh but also i think has he did a lot for that Arizona team and that Arizona team was a one seed in the tournament. And yeah, they had, um, who was the big, uh, the big center that they had there who also ended up getting drafted. Um, uh, Dallin Terry, down, um, yeah. you know, they had another, they had a really big dude there too, but what I found so incredible is like, he, he was the heart and soul of that team. He, he really was. And like, yeah, you have a seven footer in college who's in, you know, first round NBA draft pick, like it's going to help you. But Benedict Mather and I thought, I thought that was a fantastic pick and I love the fit with him and Tyrese Halliburton because Halliburton and, and Cade Cunningham are similar players. I think Benedict Mather and, and uh, Jaden Ivey are kind of similar players. And so I think both of them are, are close. I just like Cade and, and Jaden Ivey a little bit more than the other two. Um, though again, I, as I said before, I love, love, love 
uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So I, I think that's going to be a fun pick. The other one I'd throw out there too, that I'm just excited to see because I just really like the kid. And I, I think it kind of fits into what their team is right now, which is still going to be pretty mediocre. Um, but Johnny Davis going to the wizards. Um, I think he's just a really good, I, I love him as a player. I loved him at Wisconsin. Dude's a gamer. Um, I forget what it was, but like he, his average points per game versus top 25 teams last year was like 24 or something crazy. Uh, like the, the dude is just, he's a baller. He's a football. He was a football player first turned basketball player, which we all love about Anthony Davis. And obviously he's not quite the same athlete Anthony Davis is, which is one of the knocks on him, but he gets every rebound. He's a great shot maker. He's an awesome shooter. Um, and he's not going to be like a point guard there. Like people are looking at him like, oh, he's going to come in and be guards next to, you know, Bradley Beal. Like, I don't really think that's going to be his role. Like, I think he's going to fill in nicely with the team with guys like Kyle Kuzma and Bradley Beal, assuming Beal stays. And I think it's going to be a really, really fun kind of group there. So um, I just like, I like Johnny Davis a lot and I'm going to be rooting for him and, and, and hope for the best. Uh, also shout out to the Sixers who uh, did not draft anybody. Um, but in doing that, uh, ended up getting D'Anthony Melton, who is a really nice role, you know, role player. Yeah, um, yeah. It's going to add sure. add a little bit of depth. It's going to take the the heart attack shake minute uh, shake Milton minutes off the course off the court for me, which is big. Um, I you know I loved Shake when he dropped thirty nine against the Clippers three years ago, but since yeah. then the dude just gives me anxiety every time he's. He's on the not court, giving so. you fries with that shake lately. So, uh, um, but no, D'Anthony Melton's a nice player. He's he's yeah, a nice sure. player. He's, and I think he's going to fit well too. Like when you put, when you take Harden off the, off the court, you'll have Melton and Tyrese Maxey on the court together. Melton's a much better defender. Um, and I think he'll be able to play off a of Harden too, when you have Maxey off the court. So that, that right there gives you a nice little rotation of guards. Uh, yeah. And in doing so, they did have to include the Danny green contract, which then gets voided because of the injury stuff. Um, which makes me sad because I love Danny Green and just reminded me how sad I was when he tore his ACL at the end of that series because that mm-hmm. just sucks for a dude who's just a good dude. So yeah, um, and you talked about the the Sixers not making a pick. We we touched on this when we talked about the NFL draft too and how weird it was that a third of the league didn't have a first round draft pick. Well, yeah. Going into this one, it was the it was the same sort of deal. Seven yeah. teams didn't have a first round draft pick. All seven of them were playoff teams. Yeah, well, six of the seven. Uh, yeah. The Lakers being the only one that weren't the Clippers, the the Suns, Utah in the West, Brooklyn, Boston, and Toronto in the East all didn't. And then have the a, Sixers a end up pick. trading out of theirs too, right? So yeah. you know that ends up being eight as well. Um, yeah, going to be interesting. Going to be very interesting. All right, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back, talk a little bit about this Kyrie Irving KD weirdness, uh, and then we will wrap up the pod on the other side of that. So stick around. Be right back here in just a sec. So the other part of the pod that I recorded uh on friday that that pod didn't get uploaded was talking about the kyrie irving and kevin durant situation which going into the draft on thursday night a lot of people thought all right are we gonna see kd get traded we're gonna see kyrie get traded kyrie requested the trade which or didn't request a trade but did that annoying thing where who was it that did this a couple years i think it was last year who said like it was almost you know what it was it was almost like what russell west or russell wilson did where he was like i don't want to be traded but if i did here are the teams I want to go to, which Kyrie basically said like, Hey, if we don't work out a contract, these are the teams that I would approve. And it was, um, it, it Philly. was Philly, the Clippers, the Lakers, um, Miami, Miami on there? and yeah. Dallas, I think was the fifth one. 
and oh, and the Knicks. So there were six teams. And uh, my initial reaction on, you know, on when I was recording on Friday is just like, I'm so done with this guy. Like anybody who who willingly is is even considering adding Kyrie Irving to your team has not been paying attention to what this guy's been doing for the last five years. It was 2017 when he requested the trade out of Cleveland and went to Boston. Five years of this now where Kyrie, everywhere he's gone, does not play every single game, gets hurt, causes off the field shit, lies to the media, makes an entire circus about him, calls basically acts like a martyr and then blames everyone else around him because they don't understand and oh man, the media and all this fucking bullshit. When the reality is like, dude, you're just a dick. Like you're just and not get a vaccine for fuck's sake. Like you're just <laughs> selfish and self-absorbed and you think everyone else is the problem and you don't have any self-awareness to recognize that you are the problem here, chief. It's you. Like, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you don't like that, Ky- Kyrie. It's you. And so I did a whole rant about this because I was solo. And lo and behold, I get the notification today before we record from Woj that says there's only one team in the entire NBA <laughs> who is interested in Kyrie Imagine Irving. That. And the only team is the Los Angeles Lakers. And on top of that, too. This the is Lakers <laughs> have put Not together supposedly this was coming from the net side because technically teams aren't allowed to talk about signing trades until Thursday of this week. But the nets have said that they're not interested in any potential package from the Lakers, which basically means Kyrie has two options. You shut up, you sign your tender and you play and you actually show up because this this is all about partnerships. You're a part when you are a player there, you get paid an obscene amount of money because you have to be a partner to the league, to the TV contracts. That's how it all works. You can't just have your cake and eat it too, which is what he's been trying to say and do for a long time. You love basketball, you just want to play basketball for the fun of it. Rucker Park's right down the road, buddy. Go ahead mm-hmm. down there in Brooklyn. It's not that far. Go play Rucker Park and take that shit over. Knock yourself out. You want money and you know it. So stop being a you know this fucking martyr who wants to try to play holier than now all the time. The other option he has is to opt out of his contract, which would cost him 25 to $30 million, and sign on a veteran minimum with the Lakers, who already don't have enough cap space to do that, which would put them even further into the luxury tax, which probably would ultimately cost the Lakers upwards of $50 million in oh, luxury tax <laughs> in order to sign Kyrie to what would be like a $5 million deal. I think the the league vet minimum is like five or seven million. There's a third option, which is retire. (laughs) Which I think the collective NBA fan base, like fandom across the world, would like. The thing that's so frustrating is Kyrie's fucking incredible. Kyrie is one of, if not the most gifted guard scorer I've ever seen in my life. You know, Curry and him are different players, so I would. So it's tough to, to compare them, but. I think Kyrie's a better scorer than, than Steph even is, right? Because, I, and I've made this case forever, as a Philly guy, he's a better finisher as a little guy than Allen Iverson. He's got the best handles I've ever seen in my life. He's ungodly talented. But what happened during the season, Scotty, right? He comes back, or even when he was only playing half the games because he couldn't play in Brooklyn, he could play one, maybe two games a week because of the restrictions, and he would come in and be amazing. And then the second it got lifted and he could start playing every game and he played every game of the playoffs. He was very average and he couldn't stay healthy. So at this point, Kyrie is, is, is pretty much screwed. 
And on the opposite end of this, which makes it so much fascinating, and then I'll let you take it from there, is that Kyrie is Katie's is his guy. I mean, Katie uprooted his career, set up his whole company and everything based out of New York, set up his whole life and his whole career based out of New York, and bet on Kyrie Irving to be his running mate that entire time. And the reports that came out last week is that if it doesn't go well with Kyrie in Brooklyn, then KD is already starting to get unhappy. And then KD might want to get out. So of all of this mess, what is the most intriguing part of this to you storyline wise, and then actual implication of basketball wise Uh, storyline wise. I think it's hilarious that, uh, you know, the only team that wants him is the team that can neither afford him nor is he the the missing piece that's going to make the Lakers all because they, all because incredible. they bet on Russell Westbrook last uh, yeah, year too. Yeah, hundred percent. If they just did think about that, if they made the same, if they really wanted Kyrie more than Russell Westbrook, which for the record, I would be in that camp. I, yeah, just based off the Russell Westbrook contract same. alone, I'd rather take the gamble on the crazy person rather than the shitty crazy person who's making more money. They could have put together the same trade package that they did for Kyrie or for Russell Westbrook yeah. as for Kyrie this year and gotten more production. Might I add? Uh, so that's my favorite storyline. I think from a basketball perspective, uh, you know, obviously Kyrie, you touched on it was when he's on the court, he's otherworldly. Like he's he's a an unbelievable player. But the problem is that he can't get on the court. And now what you're doing is is putting in jeopardy all of the things that that Katie has done through his career and still being unhappy about it. Right. I mean, he's one to, he left the team that, that the Warriors beat. So he, he joined, uh, joined forces with Steph and clay won two championships and then decided, Hey, you know what? I'm out because Draymond's being a bitch to me. Uh, and, well, there's and, a lot of reasons he went out, but sure. that, that's one of them. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> for what it means to, to Katie and his career, I think uh, having those two on the court, I think even just those two, when when Harden was there too, it, it added even more. But even just Katie and Kyrie on the court together, they're a top, I'd say at least a top four seed. They're their home court uh, in the East, which is you not- You just are never going to bet against. Like that's why their their championship odds are still like, I think like yeah. 10, 10 to one or something. Like they haven't gotten crazy high yet because when they are together, they're still amazing. Yeah. And they're exactly. going to clear, and they're going to get a bunch of cap space cleared up this year too, because Andre Drummond's a free agent, and Blake Griffin's contract will be gone, and Claxton is a free agent. So, like, yep. they'll have some space to be able to do some stuff. I yeah, but to to that point, if Kyrie does stay, it becomes a less desirable place for a free agent to go or a, a free agent role player to go, right? But I think players um, love Kyrie. Like, that's the weird thing. Like, well, Jimmy Butler fans... said that he, if if he could add anyone in free agency, it would be. Kyrie and that's the thing like I think for for whatever reason I think players genuinely love Kyrie because of some of the stuff he's willingly said about you know how they get treated and the fans reaction and all that stuff which not to sound like the old man I do think is part of this new wave of NBA players who are soft isn't the word I would say but more sensitive to that kind of stuff um but also have much bigger <laughs> egos than guys in past yeah. years well speaking you know, of the you've seen the whole uh feud or the beginning of a feud between skip and uh skip bayless and, and russell westbrook oh well, there's i mean there's always skip bayless <laughs> I, I anyone who's even russell westbrook who I'm, a, who I'm a known hater of 
I would still side with Russell Westbrook over Skip Bayless. Uh, I, I found myself doing the same thing this weekend too, but anyway, uh, but yeah, you're Just right. Just because I, I hate Sk- Skip. Like, I don't know what, I don't know the context of it. I just know <laughs> that I'm on Russell Westbrook's side because I yeah. hate Skip, but um, it's, it's yeah, it'll be it's, interesting it's, to see how it, how it ultimately unfolds. I still think the highest likelihood is that they both end up on the nets next year. Like I, 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 the thing is too, in the NBA, there's so much pressure on this idea of losing an asset for nothing. And I don't think you can just lose. I don't think you can just willingly lose Kyrie for, for nothing. Yeah. You can't let him walk. You know, you have to try to sign him if you can. And if he chooses to walk and then go get a league minimum somewhere, like he can do that. It wouldn't be the craziest thing Kyrie's done. If we're all being honest, (laughs) like, Kyrie's done a bunch of weirder shit, but at the same time, like I don't, the egos on these guys, I don't think we'll ever let them do that. And I don't and think I, so either, but like, but imagine if you're Sean Marks, the GM of the, of the nets. Right. And you've been put in this position where it's like, uh, okay. Like KD convinced me that he's going to get Kyrie and, and James Harden to come. Oh, look, James Harden didn't pan out. Uh, but somehow we swung this trade to get Ben Simmons. So now we've got Katie and Kyrie and Ben Simmons. Oh, man. And they also convinced me to bring in a coach uh, who has no co- head coaching experience in, in Steve Nash. Uh, and so now I'm in was, this rock and hard place with yeah. is Ben, is Ben Simmons going to get on the court? Is Steve Nash the right guy to coach? Hell are the two, are the two guys that convinced me to do this going to be on the floor? Yeah. Like Steve I'm Nash gonna be is on the, the floor. Steve Nash is the least of, I think at least is the least of the Nets problems. I thought oh, every, yeah, I think sure. everything he had to take on is as a first year NBA head coach is insane in that market too. Like, by the way. yeah. Like little is, little. is there a worse, has there been a more difficult first year in terms of off the court stuff, still dealing with COVID the anti-vaccination stuff, dramatic players, a major trade, James Harden quitting in the middle of the game against Sacramento, like, has there ever been a harder first year for an NBA coach? And the fact that they no. still, you know, made the playoffs, and even though it was a sweep, it was a really hard-fought sweep. And if Jason Tatum – the team that went to the finals. So. Yeah, and if Jason Tatum doesn't you – know, if, if that layup in game one loops out the other way, you know, who knows how that series goes, right? Um, I, I give Steve Tur- – or sorry, Steve Nash a ton Steve of credit. Kerr. I do um, too. I give Steve Kerr a lot of credit. I think Steve Nash deserves a lot of credit for just being able to hold down the fort. I think I've seen enough from him. I, I can't get over this, just this lack of like self-awareness, right? You know, and KD has become very popular on, on Twitter because he's just been like, you know, he had the big burner scandal and then he just said, fuck it. I'm just going to say everything that I feel out on my sleeve and, and I don't care what you say. And he's like, I don't, you know, very much and- like the, you know, the wolf doesn't, you know, consider the opinion of the sheep kind of mentality. Yeah, but we're and, starting to see that come to fruition, too, with new media self-proclaimed guys like Draymond who are getting in, into that game, too. Right? Which like, I th- I think new media is pretty fucking dumb. If you, if you want me to be honest, like the Draymond podcast is just an extended version of his press conference. He just gets to do it from his house. Like that's that's yeah. literally the only difference. And he's untethered by. Yeah. And so he'll curse a little bit like the NBA. <laughs> so like to me, I get it. But again, that feeds into the, the ego for me, like the whole new media mm-hmm. stuff. Like I've listened to, you know, like I watched the it all started with the barbershop or the shop or whatever the hell LeBron's thing is. Oh, yeah. And yeah. honestly, the shop had value to it because it was incorporating other athletes and other comedians and other people around that I thought like 
they talked about world issues. It seemed a little cheesy at certain points too, but at least it was like enjoyable. And then I watched the boardroom, which is KD's podcast, you know, which to me was just like, Oh, I'm going to do the same thing that LeBron did, but just in, we're going to do it in a boardroom. Uh, I, I was boardroom. <clears throat> and then like the Draymond pod for as electric of a player as Draymond is like, I don't see it. And that might just be like old man of me, you know, because I've heard players podcasts that I love. The Players Tribune has one with um, Mark Ingram and Cam Jordan that uh, is fantastic, you know, that I think it was, it was a really, really good podcast. But it's also, it's not, it's coming from football players who I think actually, despite obviously having egos of some kind, have far more humility than these guys who are NBA superstars who are worth three, $400 million, you know, whereas these guys, you know, and that's the thing with Kyrie that like, to me, this all comes back to inflated sense of ego and inflated sense of self. And for as amazing as KD is, KD's part of the problem with the yeah. Nets too. And, and Kyrie's obviously the biggest problem with it. And now you're sitting here with a guy like Steve Nash, who is like arguably the most selfless player. Like he had, he had, they had to beg him in Phoenix when Mark, De- when Mike D'Antoni was there to shoot threes, they had to beg him. It was, he said it was super uncomfortable for him. I remember him on Bill Simmons podcast being like, they were like pleading with me. You have to take at least five threes a game. You have to. Don't just dish the ball to Amari Cooper. Yeah. Amari Stoudemire. Yeah. Amari yeah. Stoudemire. So <laughs> I, I don't know what the Nets are going to do. All I know is that they are in some trouble and hopefully they, they figure it out. But it's going to be fascinating to watch out. Um, Thursday's pod, we're going to do more of an, a breakdown and preview of the, uh, of the free agency as that starts is set to kick off here towards the end of this week, um, the first day. And the cool thing about this time of year, too, in the NBA is you you know that there's at least three to four things that no one knows is coming right now that's going to happen. And some of them might the, be small things, right? The 4th I, of July uh, shocker. Yeah, and some of them might be huge. But all we know is that something exciting is going to happen. So we'll have all that covered on Thursday's pod. Uh, quick break. We're going to come back. Ranking the top five cookout slash day drink moments as we get you ready for 4th of July weekend this week. All right, top five things slash moments of a cookout slash day drink slash 4th of July. So this can be applied to any day drink or cookout, or if you have one, Scotty, that are specific to the 4th of July. That's what we agreed on here. So some are 4th of July specific. Some are uh, not. Some are just random day drink things, at least for me. Um, so I will give you, I'll let you pick yours first, starting with number five, number five. Uh, this might be very specific to me. Uh, this is something me and, and my friends did, uh, growing up, uh, and my family too, but we would play a, a la Sandlot, the scene in the Sandlot, one of my favorites, Ooh. uh, with Ray Charles's uh, 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 America, the beautiful playing, I believe. Uh, it was a nighttime game of baseball or wiffle ball or football. One of those things we would just get out there and, uh, and play by the light of the fireworks and, and have a good time. I love that. That's awesome. <clears throat> Sorry, wholesome. Very Americana. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Classic Americana. Sandlot, uh, top three movies of all time. Fight me. Um, all right. Uh, number four, you want me to go to number four? Or are you going to do five? Uh, i'll do do yeah i'll do i'll do my five i'll do my five we'll go back and forth okay um number five for me was uh dressing in red white and blue on the fourth of july it's the only time of year i do it i Um, have i have two shirts that i wear on on fourth of july now 
Yeah. One is a, a one that just says the United States of America. The other is a tank top uh, of Abraham Lincoln drinking a beer. Oh, well, that one's that's that's the go to courtesy um, of James. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny, right? Because my roommate, he's the, he has an America, American flag romp him. Remember the romp hymns? Oh, yeah. Which were like the male versions of the rompers things. Uh, and my roommate has worn that every 4th of July, I think for the last like four years. Uh, he loves that thing and puts it on and he always plays the, uh, Toby Keith, like red, white and blue. Oh, see, I've got the yeah. old, so uh, I don't I've got like the, yeah, uh, I turn that I've off. I've got the bandana, it, like the Bruce Springsteen bandana that I play and it's always born in the USA. <laughs> well, that's, you probably should. I mean, that song's like anti-America ironically, but, um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> which might be fitting right now. Who's to say, um, yeah, maybe that's what maybe that's what we play. Uh, women. Um, or yeah. <laughs> um, or what's the uh what's the other one? The uh I wanna be an American where at least I know uh, I'm free. Yeah. That one. Yeah, Lee Greenwood. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lee Greenwood. There you go. I'm proud to be an American. That's what it is. Not I want to be American. Sorry to all the Americans out there listening to this podcast who just got mad at me. All right. Uh number four for you, Scott. Number four is watching people shoot off and uh fireworks. Uh, I never really did, um, but watching people shoot off fireworks, blaring John Philip Sousa music. Mm. Uh, but this, and this is where it gets specific to living in the area that we do in, in the DC Metro is uh, while doing that, we're watching the Capitol fourth on TV with John Stamos hosting and, uh, and William Tell doing the, the, the How did John on Stamos the TV. Going to fi- so I don't random. know. <laughs> it's great though. I love it. I'm watching it every year since I've lived out here. So, <laughs> Uh, okay hot take um fireworks are incredibly overrated and in fact super annoying not the, the um, big one the bit if you go to a big st- one they're cool i was just telling you off air like i uh last year i was on a rooftop in dc when the fireworks went off so like you got like a 360 view of all of the fireworks going on in the dc area which is really cool but just objectively speaking like our neighbors the last like four years that i've lived up here they fire off fireworks sometimes just randomly for no reason in the summer. Um, but they do it a lot of times on the 4th of July and they just, it's just so loud and all the dogs yeah. go fucking insane. I, 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 that's what I was going to say. Yeah, not a good time. Since, since I've had uh, a dog, uh, shout out to Nittany loyal listener of the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Since I've had a dog, I think that has changed my perception a little bit because I mean, he's relatively chill, but you know, people can can get crazy with fireworks and and sometimes he's he's not so chill so yeah uh, but yeah it's it's you know i, I do get it. like i said like i've seen them over like the air force memorial over um the arlington cemetery like, i've seen him over some really cool places yeah and i'm just kind of like me just, just kind of feel um what's uh, where for you then number four for me the nathan's hot dog eating contest oh um, that's a good one because it showcases all that's glorious and horrible about this country. Uh, gluttonous, disgusting, nauseating. Just like 4th of July. <laughs> and also sports and competitive. Um, and if you've ever seen the documentary about the 30 for 30 on it, too, it even showcases a little bit of American racism. Uh, good old fashioned in the name of um, selling tickets. Right. So a uh, whole bunch of America wrapped up into one. And at the end of it, I'm still just kind of grossed out and then ready to just absolutely stuff my face with with gross food which um is kind of what america is all about at the end of the day just just yeah. hot dogs hot dog is also a good a hot dog literally is a good analogy oh, for america oh, just uh spoiler alert 
Yeah. So uh, we will uh, we'll see that. Number three for you, Scotty. Number three is grilling an insane amount of food. Uh, wow. And and it's usually hamburgers, I, wait, hot wait, dogs. Wait. I also have number three is man manning the grill. <laughs> Which this goes, this to me goes to any cookout, just like the dad in me that wants to just, mm-hmm. just man the grill, just have my sit there with a beer and yeah. How long till the burgers are ready? It's going to be a few. Sipping yeah. a beer, got the speakers going. Yeah, no, manning the yeah. grill on, on the 4th of July or just any cookout day. Uh, yeah, great. Just one of my favorite moments. Yeah. And usually, so it's usually we do the, the hamburgers, hot dogs, you know, that kind of uh, traditional stuff. Uh, but my wife's family is, and my wife in, included are, are Korean. So we do like some of the, the Korean barbecue meats, like, uh, like bulgogi or, uh, or, or kalbi, the, the short ribs. Um, so we mix it up. We get it all in there. Uh, it's a multicultural fest, which I think is, uh, it's nice to represent, uh, America that way on the 4th of July. Agreed that I do agree with. All right. So then we both had that at three. What was your number two? Number two is cornhole tournaments. Oh, Mine is not too far off either. So yeah, cornhole tournaments. Uh, so we usually get one going with, uh, with my, my in-laws and, uh, and my wife and her family. Um, it's cornhole, uh, botch, played bocce ball growing up as in, in tournaments and stuff like that. So, Love bocce. Uh, you know, pick, pick your long game, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's, we do it tournament style and, uh, and we just drink a bunch of beer in the middle of the day and, <laughs> listen to uh by the way do you have a we, we i always have a playlist on do you have a fourth of july playlist nothing that's specific to fourth of july you know you know me i have my two like big outdoor like i have my big yeah. what i call my first friday playlist shout outs public on spotify if you want to listen that's just like 400 songs they're all great all over the place that's typically it's what i go good. with and then we i tend to find as many america themed songs and i'll cue them out throughout the day you know or if someone re- you know throws in a request yeah you don't want to get hit a, in the face with, uh, yeah. with america yeah so what's funny is so mine is not too dissimilar from yours but mine is a little bit of a twist right because fourth of july we're celebrating america right so what is what is the american spirit really it's capitalism it's competition Right. So the 4th of July getting overly competitive at yard games or any sort of competition is is a must. It's a day where you just you let yourself be a competitive psycho. You get in, you talk trash, you play all sorts of games, little spike ball, little little ring toss. Washers is the official name. Cornhole, obviously. My favorite is the Frisbee game, which, uh, Scotty, you were indoctrinated, indoctrinated into not that long ago. Um, Any sort of of yard game, but just getting like way 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 too competitive on it fucking love it fuck because it's, it's the american spirit right just overly it's capitalism of yard games that's how i view it so america nice. and your number one my number one overall is the post game fire pit oh uh, that's a good one once, that's, once that's a missed one the, on mine and the fireworks have wrapped up on fourth of july Damn it. and and uh, and everyone's kind of hanging out and doing their thing. They don't want to necessarily go to bed, even though we've had a, a good eight to, to 10 hours of, of drinking behind us. Uh, the post-game fire pit is somewhere where you can just sort of mingle and coalesce and do summary things yeah. uh, with the people that you're with. Uh, and the company is usually always great at those. Um, and then you get to en- enjoy a drink too as well. So That is uh, such a good you go call. I'm mad at myself for not having that on my list because that definitely would have been in my top five. I definitely would have beaten out at least three of the ones on my list. That's a great call. That's a great call. Um, all right. So my number one is 
all encompassing, but hosting. I love hosting ah. day drinks, cookouts, 4th of July, yeah, and everything do. that's involved with it. Cleaning, buying the alcohol and food, packing the cooler. Like I love like you lay down oh, a little I love a good what, cooler you, pack. You layer it like a lasagna. Like that's the way <laughs> that's the way to do it, right? You pour down a little yeah. ice, you throw down some beers, some seltzers, whatever you're drinking, pour in a little more ice, a little more beer, a little more ice, and you just do that until it's just all perfectly in, all maxed up there. Uh, mowing the lawn, having a freshly mowed lawn before Ooh. the day actually gets going. Um, the excitement Got of you. like yeah. the excitement of like I've cleaned the house, the yard is ready, the games are set up, the food's prepped, the alcohol's ready to go. I'm gonna open a beer, I'm gonna sit down with the music playing, and then you're just waiting for people to show up. I love that excitement. It like gets yeah. me fired up. And then that's great. Arguably the most underrated part of it all, you get to at the end of the night. Everyone leaves and you're in your house and you can just walk up the stairs. Don't got to drive anywhere. Don't got to worry about travel. Just go right upstairs. You clean a little bit while you're a little buzz. My parents always taught me that you'd rather clean when you're a little drunk than wake up hungover and have to do it. Yeah. So that's for sure. Do that. It's a good. Go lesson. to bed. And then you wake up and you're good to go. And then for it's the next 5th day. of July. And that's the 5th uh, of July <laughs> or, or any other just random day when, when you host the day drink. So did you, did you have any honorable I'm mentions? <laughs> The fire pit one is probably, is probably yeah. high on my list. Um, I mean, I'm this one is would be very unpopular for most people, but to me, always plays, especially if like growing up around a lot of musicians. But anytime an acoustic guitar gets brought out, that's typically like a what are you doing? Like that's a douchebag move now. I love it. I love a good acoustic guitar, campfire, you know, circle. Yeah. Um, if you can find somewhere, if you live in an area or you're somewhere that has a good sunset during a day drink, I'm a big sunset guy. So anytime you have that, um, let's see, 4th, 4th of July specific ones. I don't know. Maybe I, if you find some sort of novelty drink or something that's 4th of July, any sort of novelty oh, that you let oh, yourself indulge a little bit. Stars into. and stripe shooter. Yeah. I, yeah. No, something I, like that. So I have jello one, shots, red, white, and blue jello shots. I have a specific one for 4th of July, which is. All right, uh, let's hear it is that is on the outside looking in it did not make my top five but i think you would have put it in your top five okay uh, knowing you is uh you whenever you wake up on fourth of july uh this is what i do i'll blast literally blast as almost as loud as i can jimmy hendrix's version from mm. woodstock of of the star spangled banner and just chug a beer to the entire thing <laughs> I have, I have not the chugging the beer part, but I have definitely blasted the Jimi Hendrix fourth or, or national anthem on, on guitar. That's the first song you gotta yeah. listen to. On the, That's a good one. On 4th of July. That's a good one. That's a good one. Any other honorable mentions before we wrap up the pod? No, that was it for me, man. All right. Well, uh, we will be back on Friday. Uh, hopefully we'll have Dusty Dvorak joining to break down the Arch Manning signing uh, at Texas, as well as just some, general college football stuff and check in with our boy dusty and i'd love to tell a little bit of his story he's a really fascinating awesome awesome dude one of the top college football analysts for espn uh and then uh, we will get into nba free agency which hopefully by then we will have some stories that come out so get your uh, notifications on for woge and shams on the old twitter.com and the read option and of course the read option don't want to miss a single pod so uh scotty thank you as always we will be back and we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.